So we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 5 from verse 1 to 13. But just before we go there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever signed up for something and discovered that what you signed up for is so much more than the initial ask? Maybe you signed up to play a sport. You just wanted to become you know, proficient at playing football. Then you discovered, oh, you need to buy shoes uh, which are called cleats, which have spikes and, and different things. Or you, you, you signed up for a job and you know, you just went there, your intentions were pure, you just wanted to, you know, play your role in a particular profession only to discover you had to navigate office politics. There's a guy who wants to stab you in the back. There's this other guy who doesn't show up at work when he's supposed to. And there's all these things that you need to navigate. That was Nehemiah's story. He went to Jerusalem. He signed up for rebuilding the wall only for him to discover he had to rebuild the wall, fight opposition, deal with people, etc., etc., etc. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to read verse 1 to 5, and then we're going to continue verse 6 to 13 as we look at the message. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still, others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Pause there. In the middle of rebuilding this wall, this project that Nehemiah is involved in, things begin to erupt in the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was taking care of the opposition that of the foreign opposition and by this time the men are working with one hand and one with the with a sword on the other side. But then something else begins to happen on the inside. There's some grumbling and rumbling and people come to Nehemiah who is now the governor and they say to him and they begin to complain against their fellow Jews. Essentially these were the conditions that they were complaining about. They are saying, there's poverty and there's debt. We are unable to meet our obligations because of high interest payments and high taxes. The conditions are adverse. There's famine. Food is expensive and we can't afford it. There's a shortage of basic needs. They say to him, we are powerless because other people are creating conditions in which we and our families can no longer survive. They say to him, under these conditions, we are experiencing a family, financial, economic, and social crisis. And as I was reading that, I kept wondering, Nehemiah, are you talking about Nairobi, Kenya 2023? Because it's almost as if the words that he was speaking 
are the exact reality that we're living in. Living through high taxes, high interest rates, living through adverse weather and climate conditions, living through places and moments where there's a shortage of basic needs, living through a time when people are feeling powerless, overwhelmed, and defeated by the conditions that they are going through. And I was just like, Nehemiah, you must have been living in Kenya. It must have been 2023 when you were writing this. But this reminded me of how timeless God's word is in whatever moments and seasons we find ourselves in. And in the midst of those challenging and difficult times, some people had found a way to exercise their power and their influence in such a way that they were taking advantage of others. And so people come to Nehemiah and they complain against their fellow Jews. This was a person complaining against the person they live with in their home. Another complaining against the person they work with in their office. Another complaining against the neighbor they live with in that neighborhood. And the conditions that they are complaining against, and sorry, and the people that they are complaining against was not a foreign oppressor, but it was someone right in the midst of the same conditions that they were living in. And the reality of those conditions and the conditions we live through in our own lives is that we are not equally affected by challenging moments and seasons in our lives. That there's a group of people who are adversely affected and there are others who take that opportunity to take advantage of those experiences and to make a name for themselves in those circumstances. The Old Testament scholar Bruce Walke said, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community in crisis. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. That when we find ourselves in the midst of moments where we are going through challenges, that we can fall into two camps. We can find ourselves either working to advantage ourselves or we can, walk, we can find ourselves working to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others. And what we do, what we see in, this, in the rest of the passage of Nehemiah chapter 5 is Nehemiah models for us a response where he disadvantages himself in order to lead the people with justice and generosity. Nehemiah disadvantages himself intentionally to lead the people with justice and generosity. Let's look at what happens next after we read that passage, after we read verse 5. In verse 6, it says, When I heard the outcry and these charges against the people, I was very angry. First thing, Nehemiah hears the outcry of the people and he listens with empathy. Instead of just seeing it as another newspaper article, it's just another thing that's happening in this city. You know what? That's the drama we go through. These are, these are just the moments that we're going through. Nehemiah instead listens with an ear not to insulate himself or block out 
what's going on. Instead, he listens to pay attention to the needs of the people and he is moved by their plight. Notice that this is a pattern in Nehemiah's life. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, when his brothers came to visit him, when he was living in the citadel of Susa in the kingdom of Persia, what happens? They tell him about the conditions that the people are living in. And, what, and Nehemiah, we're told in chapter 1 verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. The pattern of Nehemiah's life in the midst of difficult and challenging moments is to listen with empathy. And the question for us is, who are the people around you that you need to begin to listen with empathy to? Because there's always someone around you who needs a listening ear. There's always someone around you who, if you were li to listen to them, their cry would hear, would, would get to your ear. And then it continues in verse 7. And he says, I pondered these things in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. And I told them, you are charging your own people interests. And the easiest thing to do is when you hear a passage like this or when you hear the things of a moment of crisis like this is to hear, you know what, hey, there's a big problem or that's someone else who needs to attend to it. But what we see is Nehemiah takes and leverages his position in order to cons carefully consider the issue and then to courageously challenge those in authority. Nehemiah carefully considers what, 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 was, what were these people asking about really. They were saying that, you know what, someone is taking advantage. Someone has made the system in such a way that it favors particular people and it disadvantages others. And Nehemiah goes directly to the people who are benefiting from the system and he says to them, give back what you took. You need to change what's going on. And as he says that, verse 8 continues. He said to them, so I called a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your, only, your own people only for them to be sold back to us. We are told they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where the accusation is so direct and so specific that no words could justify the circumstances or the situation that, have been, that has been created? This was Nehemiah's moment. He says to them, the circumstances and the situation that you have created is so dire that no response can justify that moment. And so what I want from you is a commitment to accountability and action. He invites the people to come together and he says to them, give back what you took, set things back in order, 
And what I want to see in verse 10 and 11, it continues. Sorry, verse 9 to 11, it continues. What I want to see is this. What you are not, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to approach to avoid the reproach of our enemies, I and my brothers and my men are also lending to the people. But let us stop charging interest. Give back the, the fields, the vineyards, the olive groves, and the houses, and also the interest you're charging to them. And at this moment, when the people are called to commitment and accountability, they respond, we will give it back and we will not demand anything more from them. It continues, then I summoned the priests and the nobles and the officials to take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robes and said, in this way may God shake out of their house and their possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. And at this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. You see, for Nehemiah, what he wanted to see the people do and what the invitations that he made for the people for how to live in moments of challenge was for them to take their position, their privilege, and any opportunities they had and to use them to disadvantage themselves so that others might be able to experience, to have better opportunity in the midst of great distress and powerlessness. And Nehemiah does this by example of his own life. He says, I and my brothers have, are giving and lending to the people expressing generosity from his own pocket in moments where things were very difficult. Nehemiah demonstrates sacrificial generosity. He said, as far as possible, we have bought back those sold to the Gentiles. We are also lending the people money. You see, when I got to this part as I was getting ready, I noticed that Nehemiah was not making an accusation of anyone else. Instead, he was showing example by himself. He was saying, the integrity that I want you to live with to, in order to demonstrate justice and generosity to the lives of people I am already doing with my own life. And I am already measuring out of my own life the actions that I want to see you practice. For Nehemiah, his relationship with God was not divorced from a life of justice and generosity. And we see this because Nehemiah tells us what his motivation was for making and living the life that he lived in, the way, for living the way that he lived. He tells us that his motivation in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, he tells us his motivation was this. He told the officials, what you're doing is not right. 
shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And then he continues. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14, all the way to 16. Sorry, verse 15 and 16. He says, The earlier governors, those preceding me, had placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and the wine. Their assistants lorded it over the people, but out of reverence, I did not act like that. Out of reverence for God, sorry, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall and all my men were assembled there on the, for the work. We did not acquire any land. What Nehemiah is teaching us and what his life is modeling for us is that if our intention is truly to restore goodness and to live lives that continue to influence and to impact the spaces around us, that we will not separate our private relationship with God from public expressions of justice and generosity. That if we actually want to see God move in our lives and in the lives of those around us, what we're going to do is we are going to pursue a quality of uncommon generosity with our positions, with our privilege, and with our power. You see, all of us here have some measure of position or privilege or power. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a public servant or you run a private enterprise all of us have some measure of privilege. All of us have some measure of position. And the question is, are you leveraging that to advantage others and to pull back on the comforts for yourself that you could live with? Nehemiah goes so far in his unconventional approach to justice and generosity that we are told at the end of chapter 5 that this is how he lived. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because these demands were heavy on the people. And he concludes by saying, remember me with favor, my God for all that I have done for these people. For Nehemiah, a life of justice and generosity meant that with whatever he saw himself able to do, 
he went further in order that more good would abound for the people around him. He did it so that everyone and everything might experience greater abundance rather than insulating himself and creating a higher wall. He built a longer table for the people to feed at. And the crazy thing is he didn't do this for one year or two years. Nehemiah was the governor of Jerusalem for 12 years. It became a pattern of his life to live in this way. And I, as I was thinking about my own life and the life of this community as a church, the question for us becomes, are we known for acts of generosity and kindness and justice? Or are we known for a pattern, a lifestyle of generosity and justice and kindness? Because you see, for Nehemiah's life, it meant that his entire life had to be reoriented in order for him to live that way. He had to change how he consumed in order for him to always make it possible to live with sacrificial generosity. He had to change how he spoke up in order to make sure he was always in spaces where he could speak up for those at the margins and those who were less advantaged than himself. The invitation of Nehemiah flowed from his own life and because of it, the integrity of his life, his justice and generosity were fueled by a love for God and a love for people. He says, I did not want to place heavy burdens on the people. He saw the people, he didn't see himself as an outsider who had come to lord it over the people. He, said, he saw himself as an insider living in presence and practice among the people who are there. And so as we continue with our own lives and with the journey and the moments that we find ourselves in, the question becomes for us, where is God drawing you to pay closer attention and to extend yourself with acts of grace and kindness and mercy? Where is God drawing you closer to himself and saying, I want you to pay attention around you? Is it in your home? Is it in your place of work? Is it in the circles that you find yourself in that he's inviting you to become more sensitive to his spirit and more attentive to his love? And as we do that, what happens in our own lives is that we discover what we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, where Nehemiah says, the gracious hand of God was upon me. That God's favor continued to accompany him, even in difficult moments where he had to navigate the challenges that the people were experiencing as he was leading them. I think all of us would want to live in that space 
that space where God's hand is upon us. And the invitation is then to live with openness to his spirit so that we can hear and attend in the way that he desires for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you because everything we have comes from you. And because it comes from you, you invite us to live with it in a demonstration of your goodness wherever we find ourselves. And so I ask for us, wherever this message lands, Lord, for those of us who might be feeling this is too much of a stretch, I'm already feeling at the ends of myself, that Lord, you would give us your spirit to guide us into how to live out in this way. That you would help us to reorient our lives so that we would become people who are always moving in the model of Christ and his love and his generosity. So we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace upon our lives and we ask that you would accompany us on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.